Thank you, Will. Good morning, College Hills. We are really glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, and if you are a guest, like Alex said later, uh, earlier, uh, and he'll say it later as well, uh, we are really glad that you are here this morning, and we would love for you to stick around afterwards so that we could get to know you a little bit better. And the best place for you to go if you are visiting is to go out those two double doors right after service and take a left, and there's a welcome center where we want to get to know you, and we will also greet you with a gift. And so we are grateful that you are here this morning. As Kevin said in his bulletin article, today is the last day of this four-week series that we use to launch the new year called Together. Uh, And today as we conclude, we are going to talk about how together we experience love. And so I want to pray as I usually do before, uh, but in 2004 I was a preaching intern in Murfreesboro. And the man that I was able to spend time with kind of became a mentor to me that summer. Um, And as with any mentor, they teach you things and you pick up things along the way, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. Uh, And one of the things that he unintentionally passed along, but I intentionally picked up from him, was a prayer uh, that he had taped in the front of his Bible that he preached from. And one day when he wasn't looking, I took the Bible, I copied the prayer, and so whenever I've had a a Bible that I preach out of, it's a a prayer that I always glance and give a read before I preach. And in light of the nature of the prayer in the front of my Bible and in light of what we're going to talk about this morning, I thought it was appropriate that I will pray the prayer I usually do, but then I want to conclude that prayer with uh, these words that I have um, taken and have treasured from a mentor from many years ago. So let's pray before we jump into our lesson. Father, we're grateful for this morning. Uh, We are grateful for the gift of love that we have in Jesus. And this morning, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching and teaching, uh, and that you would pour through all of us the gift of open hearts, uh, that we would hear your voice, and that we would be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus. God, I love these people, and they love me. I love you, and you love me. You love these people, and many of these people love you. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. This is not an audience to be feared. This is a family to be loved. So please, God, Love these people through me. Amen. On January 11th, 2019, Jessica and I went for a doctor's appointment that was a weekly part of our routine leading up to our expected delivery date of February 4th for our daughter. Uh, Soon into that appointment, though, uh, we were informed that Jessica's water had broken and that we were going to be delivering that weekend. Um, After my eyes popped back into my head and my jaw came up off the floor, we then transitioned into another part of the hospital where we got ready for the delivery. And then 30 hours of labor later, Jessica, you're the real MVP, our daughter, Everly James, arrived. And if you have not interacted with me any over the last year, then you probably don't realize that I'm kind of obsessed with Everly, and by obsessed, I mean I am terribly, terribly in love with her. We go grocery shopping together, we read books together, and sometimes she eats those books. Uh, We have 
choreography parties. We do a lot of stuff together. And what I've realized is that there are a lot of experiences that you can have in life that deepen your understanding of love. And I've had a variety of those throughout my life, but up to this point in my life so far, becoming a father has been one of the most profound experiences of love that I have ever experienced. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure of, even though, you know, there's stressful days and days with full schedules, that you can't always feel that love in the moment, but I always can find it. And I want to make sure that Everly can always find it. And so one of the practices and commitments that I committed to when we came home with her a little over a year ago is that I wanted her, as soon as she began to understand what it meant for me to love her, that a foundation of love would already be in place. So there was never a question in her mind about what founds our relationship. And so I've adopted this practice that on the mornings that I go to get her out of her crib, most every morning I will say two things to her before anything else. I love you and I'm proud of you. And I say most days because some days I look at her and I say, why did you get up so early? But on my best days I tell her, I love you And I'm proud of you. And the reason is because even though she doesn't even understand what those words mean, the first moment that she can even begin to understand those words, I want her to know that her foundational identity is that of my loved child and that my foundational and fundamental posture towards her is that of a loving father. And the reason why I want to start there with her is because I know and you know how important identity is. And identity makes all the difference in life, and it makes all the difference in the life of faith. When Paul writes this letter that we heard a part of read this morning to the church at Ephesus, he knew this truth in his life and in the life of the church. Because one of the main things that Paul wants to communicate to this church, not just in Ephesus, but to our church this morning, is that their primary identity is that of a loved child. Paul introduces this theme of being a child of God at the very beginning of his letter in verse 5, where he tells the church and he tells us that we have been adopted as children of God. And as he moves throughout the letter, he'll continue to reference this identity in different ways. He'll he'll talk about how that we are members of God's household, that we are a part of God's family. And what's really important to notice is that when Paul references this identity as a child of God, he will quickly refer or point to God's love for us. That God's love not just animates, but motivates us becoming children of God. In other words, that we're not just any kind of children, but we are loved children of God. And so by the time that we get to our passage this morning, all of these themes kind of crystallize together in this beautiful phrase that we shouldn't skip over too quickly, where Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, 
as dearly loved children. That what Paul wants the church at Ephesus to know and what Paul wants our church to know is that the fundamental posture of God towards us is that of love. And that our foundational identity is that of being dearly loved children. And for Paul, that meant something. For Paul, that meant we were to live in a different way because of that identity. That for Paul, identity always led to instruction. And we see this in the immediate context of our passage this morning. Because, because what we notice is that Paul references this identity of us as dearly loved children and then begins to talk about how we are then to live a life of love. In other words, that because of our identity as children of this father, we are to behave in ways that reflect that father. Now, some of you grew up in a home where you learned this lesson. Uh, because some of you grew up in a home where from time to time your parents would look at you and tell you what your last name was. They would remind you of your last name, and then they would tell you because of that last name or that identity, therefore you were to do certain things or not do certain things. Because your identity as a child of that parent meant that you were to live in ways that reflected the character of that parent. And for us, it's important to realize that, God remind, that Paul reminds us that God is this God of love, and he's our loving father. Therefore, we are to be children who reflect the character of that father. We're to be people who love. And for Paul, as we see in this passage right in front of us, the most clear expression, the fullest embodiment of God's love for us is best seen in Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus choosing to sacrifice of himself for the sake of others in Paul's mind was the clearest expression of what God's love looked like. And that's the immediate context of our passage this morning. But if we want to know what the specifics of this love look like, then we need to pay attention to the previous context. Because just a few verses earlier, in chapter 4, verse 20, Paul is talking about identity. He's introducing this topic of identity. And there, back in verses 20 through 24 of chapter 4, Paul reminds us of when we began to know Christ. And when we began to know Christ, we began to learn all these things about ourselves. And one of the things that we learned about ourselves is that there, that there was this old self, there was this old identity that was corrupted by all kinds of evil desires. But there was also this new self. There was this true self created to be like God. And what Paul instructs in those four verses is that we are to put on the new self, live into this identity and likeness of God. And so 4, 20 through 24, and 5, 1 through 2 are kind of these bookends of the passage. And then right in between chapter 4, verse 25 through 32 is kind of this list illustrating what it looks like to live in the likeness and love of God. 
that right in the middle of our passage is this list of things, not an exhaustive list, but an illustrative list of things that show us what it looks like to be people who live out that identity of the likeness and love of God. My paraphrase of that list. Don't be dishonest with each other, but be truthful with each other. Don't coast off of the work of others, but you should work so that you can be generous with others. Don't speak in ways that harm the people around you, but speak in ways that help the people around you. Don't let your anger simmer and simmer and simmer until it bubbles over into rage and resentment and slander and malice, but instead, choose the way of Christ that is kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Now, two things strike me about this list that Paul gives in verses 25 through 32. The first thing that strikes me about the list is that Woven throughout this list, Paul gives this communal rationale. In other words, as he gives this individual instruction to the church, he keeps the community in mind. He he tells them that, that their speech should build one another up. He tells them that they shouldn't be dishonest with each other and they should be truthful because you are members of one body. That when he tells people to work, and instead of being lazy, he tells them so that they can be generous with others. And then when you get to the end of that list, and he talks about kindness and compassion and forgiveness, those are things that are, are inevitably other-focused. So time and time again, Paul gives this list of ways that we embody the love and the likeness of God, and he keeps the community in mind throughout those instructions. I would say it this way. We are held by the love of God shown to each of us. And we are held together by the love of God that we show to each other. That as we try to live these lives of love, that the most immediate expression of that love is going to be with the community around us. And it's that which is going to hold us together. The second thing that strikes me about this list is how everyday and ordinary of examples this list is. I mean, the things that Paul talks about here are pretty basic everyday stuff. He he talks about being honest and dishonest. He talks about how we talk to each other and how we talk about each other. He talks about work and not working. He talks about giving. He talks about kindness and compassion anger and rage, the the things that Paul mentions here are these everyday, ordinary things. Because for Paul, like we said earlier, the clearest expression of God's love is seen in this ultimate, extraordinary example of Christ willingly sacrificing himself for the sake of others. But for Paul, the small glimpses of that extraordinary example were more often than not seen in the everyday ways a community interacted with each other. Yes, there was this 
clear example, this amazing example of Jesus on the cross, and yet there were also these everyday, ordinary things that were the glue of love that held the community together. This past fall, I was invited to be a part of a minister's retreat in Texas. And part of the retreat was for some rest and renewal, and another part of the retreat was for the ministers to receive some encouragement from special guests. And one of the special guests was Dr. Kent Brantley. And many of you probably remember Dr. Brantley and his amazing story from about five or six years ago. And if you don't remember his story, it is this remarkable example of sacrifice and love. He and his wife and family were serving as medical missionaries in Liberia in 2014 when this wave of Ebola, this deadly virus, began sweeping through their area. And it was obviously a time for high alert because of how deadly this virus was, especially for those taking care of the patients in that area. And Dr. Brantley and several other doctors in this moment of crisis chose to stay and serve. They chose to stay and be these extraordinary examples of love. And as you probably remember, it was about six weeks into the first known case of Ebola that Dr. Brantley himself contracted this virus. And for a week, he was there in Liberia at the hospital where he was serving. And at the end of that week, he was transported back to Emory Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, where some of the best physicians in the country took care of him week after week after week, while people literally all around the world prayed for him. And miraculously, about three weeks after the day he arrived at Emory Hospital, he was dismissed in full health. This amazing story of prayer and physician care bringing about the healing in the most amazing of ways. And if you remember at the end of that year, 2014, Time Magazine awarded Dr. Brantley and those other doctors who chose to stay and serve in Liberia, Time's Person of the Year. And the reason why he received this award and the reason why all of us remember him is because of this extraordinary and amazing act of love and sacrifice that he carried out for the sake of others. But at the retreat, I learned another side of the story that I had never known before. And the session with him was this Q&A with one of our hosts of the retreat. And the guy was asking him questions about this experience, and then he got to a question that, that everyone wanted to know. He said, in light of these rapidly and dangerous evolving events in Liberia, when did you decide to stay and serve? When did you decide to stay even though you knew the risk and danger? And he paused. And then he said, it took me a lifetime. And then he went on to talk about how this extraordinary act of sacrifice didn't happen in a moment, but it happened over a lifetime in small 
sacrifices that he and his family made along the way. So when this amazing critical moment came about, he chose the way of Jesus. And I couldn't help but think of what he said in that interview and what Paul says to us here and how they converge together in this really important truth for us to pay attention to. And, and that is, yes, there will be these times for extraordinary and elaborate acts of sacrifice and love. But more often than not, it will be the everyday, ordinary sacrifices we make that demonstrate the love of God in Christ. In fact, I would contend that we cannot get to those elaborate and extraordinary acts of love without first practicing those everyday, simple, ordinary acts of sacrifice and love for each other. Because yes, we are held by the love of God shown to each of us. And yes, we are held together by the love of God we show to each other, but more often than not, that love that we show to each other is going to be in these everyday, ordinary ways. And so as we conclude this sermon series, and we think about being a community who's together, and as we think about being together in love, I think it's important for us to realize that the thing that's going to hold us together as a community will sometimes be in these elaborate ways of sacrifice we demonstrate to each other. But more often than not, it's going to be in the everyday interactions of sacrifice and love that we show to each other. And it, this is happening in our community. This kind of love is holding us together all the time, even though we probably walk past it and we're not aware of it. This kind of love happens every Sunday morning, when people like Tim Mitchell and Tom Wallace and Joe Smith and our welcome team get here early and they sacrifice their sleep-in time or their extra time at home to get here early and brave the elements and be a welcoming presence and sacrifice and give up some of their time so that people who have been going here for years or people who step foot into a church for the first time in years are greeted with kindness and compassion. This kind of love happened recently with, with our fourth graders. And in our fourth grade class, they were talking about how they too were now active participants in the kingdom of God. And what they decided as a class was that they wanted to show the love of God to some other people in our church. And so they made these winter cups and these winter cards that creatively said, God loves you so much which I appreciated personally. And they went over to Harside and they delivered them to residents at Harside so that they knew that they were loved by God. They sacrificed some of their class time in order to turn it into service time. I think of each summer with our camp and our student ministry and our children's ministry. And whether you realize this or not, the older students go first and they spend part of the week having their camp. And then the second half of the week, the younger students come. But instead of those older students leaving, they stay to be camp counselors and mentors to the younger students. In other words, they give up a part of their summer vacation in order to pour into younger students students. 
This kind of love happens each week when people like Amy Phillips and our, our Wednesday night prayer team write notes of encouragement and notes of prayer to literally people all over the world to remind them that they are being prayed for and that they are being loved. And they take part of their time in order to serve other people. I think of last week with our funeral meal team and taking care of Pat Meyer's family with the loss of her mom. I think of another young mom recently who organized a meal train for a new couple who was unexpectedly placed with a child in foster care. I think of caring hearts here who sit with others in our community while we're grieving. And they give up some of their time so that those people who are in grief know that they are loved. These are the kinds of things that hold a community together. And we do. We live in this world where, unless it's a big headline, whether, whether, if it's not extraordinary and outlandish, it, it doesn't get much attention. And yet the stuff that should get our attention is that everyday, ordinary stuff that we as a community are trying to do to hold ourselves together in love. Because as someone who's been on the receiving end of love from this community, I can speak from experience that when you love on me and my family, number one, it makes me want to be a more loving person. But number two, it reminds me that there is a God who loves me. It reminds me of our fundamental and foundational identity as children of God. And so this week, let, let's be people who are honest with each other and we're not pretending with each other. Let's, let's be people who not let our anger get out of control, but we seek kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Let's, people, let's be people who work hard so we can give extravagantly. Let, let's be these kinds of people who watch what we say so that it's not hurtful to others, but so that it builds each other up. And when we do those kinds of things, when we love each other in those kinds of ways, we will not just be held together in love, but we will be reminded that the foundational posture of God towards us is that of love, and our fundamental identity is dearly loved children. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're so grateful that you have loved us called us your children, and that you continue to show us love through our community of faith. God, help soften our hearts. God, get rid of our arrogance and our pride. Help us to remember times when we were hurting and we needed help. Help us to remember times when we were confused. Help us to remember times when we made mistakes, help us to remember times when we were betrayed. And help us to remember how you loved us in all of those moments so that we can then love others in the same way. Bless us and empower us by your Spirit to do that this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any response to the invitation this morning, you can come down front and make that response. We'll also have shepherding couples in the back who are there to pray and love on you. Whatever your need is, you can do that now while we stand.